It's Friday, April the 8th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Russia voted off Human Rights Council and NATO prepares for the long haul. First, the world in brief. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said that Russian forces' destruction of Borodyanka was, quote, much more horrific than what they did in Bucha, another suburb of Kyiv. Earlier, the United Nations General Assembly voted to suspend Russia from the UN's 47-member Human Rights Council over the, quote, gross and systematic violations and abuses of human rights. Led by America, 93 countries voted in favour, 24 against, and 58 countries abstained. It marks the first time any member of the UN Security Council's, quote, permanent five was expelled from a UN Council. The world must prepare for the war in Ukraine to last weeks, months, or even years, warned Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of NATO. Member states have condemned atrocities by Russia and are, quote, ready to do more when it comes to military support for Ukraine, Mr Stoltenberg said. Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, who joined a meeting of NATO foreign ministers on Thursday, called on them to act with haste to prevent more deaths. Ukraine warned that the battle for the Donbass region would remind the world of the Second World War. Thousands of people are trying to flee the country's east, where Russian forces have trained their focus. The mayor of Dnipro, a city of one million people, urged women, children and the elderly to leave, saying he expected things to get, quote, rather intense. Another official said a Russian airstrike on a railway in Donetsk province stopped three trains filled with civilians from escaping. A Kremlin spokesman acknowledged that Russia had sustained, quote, significant losses of troops during its invasion of Ukraine. Two weeks ago, NATO estimated that Russia had lost between 7,000 and 15,000 soldiers. The true number of casualties is unknown. An unusually high number of the country's top generals have also been killed in battle. At least seven Russian generals had died as of March 31st. America's Congress voted to strip Russia of its, quote, most favoured nation, MFN, status, making it possible to apply harsher tariffs to Russian imports. A separate bill banned the purchase of Russian coal and petroleum products. European leaders banned Russian coal on Thursday. Revoking Russia's MFN status now is a formality. It cleared the Senate 100 to 0. In the House of Representatives, only three Trump loyalists opposed it. Other news. Pakistan's Supreme Court ruled thoroughly against the Prime Minister, Imran Khan, who dodged a no-confidence motion last weekend by having it dismissed, dissolving Parliament and calling for fresh elections. On Thursday, the justices found for the political opposition, deeming the whole manoeuvre unconstitutional and without, quote, legal effect. Mr Khan plans to make his case directly to the public on Friday evening. America's Senate voted 53-47 to to confirm Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. When she replaces Justice Stephen Breyer when he retires this summer, 
Miss Jackson will become the first black woman to serve on the court. America's National Labor Relations Board gave Amazon two weeks to gather evidence for its case contesting the outcome of last week's successful union vote at a Staten Island warehouse. Meanwhile, in Bessemer, Alabama, union organisers in a separate ballot, whose outcome is still unknown, asked that the vote be invalidated owing to alleged interference by the e-commerce giant. Shares in HP Inc., formerly Hewlett-Packard, rose to a record high on Thursday after Berkshire Hathaway, a conglomerate, said it had acquired an 11% stake worth $4.2 billion in the American IT giant. And fact of the day. 400. The number of Russian spooks expelled from America and Europe since the outbreak of war. And now, here's today's agenda. Arming Ukraine When Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, announced his invasion of Ukraine, he said his aim was to, quote, demilitarize the country. Ironically, it has become one of the most militarized in Europe. Western arms are pouring in. On Wednesday, America said it would send Ukraine another $100 million of anti-armor weapons, the sixth time it has dipped into Pentagon stocks in this way since August 2021. It is also sending 100 switchblades, backpack-sized loitering munitions which smash into their targets. The Czech Republic has gone further, sending Soviet-designed T-72 tanks and other armoured vehicles. Perhaps most importantly, Czech officials say that they, along with Slovakia, might help Ukraine to repair damaged equipment. Distant countries are also chipping in. Australia is sending Bushmaster infantry fighting vehicles. Since the war began, the European Union, more accustomed to doling out aid than arms, has provided 1 billion euros, 1.1 billion dollars of weapons. If a war of attrition lies ahead, Ukraine will be well supplied. One big step for the space economy. Astronauts aboard the International Space Station are about to get some new roommates. On Friday, a rocket will take the first all-private crew, a retired astronaut and three entrepreneurs, to the ISS. The AX-1 crew will remain aboard carrying out research for eight days. The entrepreneurs each paid Axiom Space, the American firm operating the mission, $55 million for the privilege. The mission is part of NASA's attempt to build a, quote, low-Earth orbit economy. The space agency is keen to replace the ISS, which is on its last legs, with private alternatives from which it could buy services. NASA hopes that will be cheaper than operating its own space station, thereby freeing up resources to concentrate on getting people to the Moon and Mars. Axiom wants a big role in that economy. It plans to build a space station of its own. Justice for a damn disaster. On Friday, the Court of Appeal in London finishes hearings to determine the future of one of the biggest lawsuits in the legal history of England and Wales. 
It will decide whether the claims of over 200,000 victims of the Mariana Dam disaster can be heard by its judiciary. In 2015, the collapse of the dam in southeastern Brazil sent 40 cubic metres of toxic mining waste down hundreds of miles of waterways. 19 people died, thousands were displaced, and villages, farms and fish stocks were irrevocably contaminated in one of the country's worst ever environmental disasters. Many of the victims were indigenous. The case is the latest example of a trend of plaintiffs seeking compensation beyond their own borders. For those with limited means, justice in Brazil can be agonisingly hard to obtain. Better to pursue BHP, an Anglo-Australian mining firm which co-owns the dam, in London. Like the firms they are suing, justice seekers are going global. India's central bank sits tight. For more than two weeks, Indians have been waking to announcements of fuel price rises. As state-owned oil companies belatedly adjust for the soaring cost of oil, inflation, already above the central bank's ceiling of 6%, will surge. But the bank is expected to hold fire when it announces its latest monetary policy decision on Friday. Indeed, it wants to stave off rate rises until August. That would mean two years without an increase. Few central banks have been as accommodating. India's central bankers insist that unchanged rates reflect their commitment to reviving growth, which slumped during the COVID-19 pandemic and now faces new challenges, such as global supply chain disruptions. The low rates also reduce the cost of public borrowing, which helps the government. An investigation by the Reporters Collective, a group of journalists, published on Monday, highlighted the extent of ministerial meddling with the central bank's supposedly independent decision-making. That may explain its unexpectedly dovish stance. Oxytocin turns lions into love cats. For conservationists, rescuing wild animals from circuses or conflict zones is only half the battle. After liberation, the creatures must be reintroduced into wild or captive populations, which may not be welcoming. Fiercely territorial African lions, for instance, often reject outsiders. But a new pharmaceutical intervention, tested in a South African reserve and described in iScience, a journal, appears to suppress lions' aggressive instincts. 23 big cats were administered a nasal spray containing oxytocin, the so-called, quote, love hormone, known for its pro-social effects. According to the researchers, the change in the lion's demeanour was immediate. If not transformed into mewling kittens, they were less wary of being approached and reined in their roaring. As African cities encroach further into their territory, avoiding conflict will require more lions to be moved to fenced reserves. The ethical side of this is fuzzy. To protect the king of the jungle, it may be necessary to pump him with hormones. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, 
Your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. The common scoter, dotterel and goldeneye are all types of what creature? Thursday. Which Minnesota-based airline group merged with Delta Airlines in 2008? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Margaret Thatcher, who died on this day in 2013. In politics, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.